Man, I'm glad to see y'all. It is good to see uh, you here today. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we have started a series on um, foundational principles for the church. And thank you. And uh, today we're coming to uh, a new one. I, I want to say I appreciate the first song we sang uh, called Indescribable. And uh, one that, besides it being a great song, one of the reasons I really like it, um, the author of that song uh, graduated from the same school I did, Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. And Chris Tomlin got a hold of the song somehow and made it very famous. But uh, uh, a friend of mine, she went, the girl that wrote it went years after I was there. But I could just imagine her in some of the classes I was in and going over the book of Job and writing the lyrics into that song of God asking those questions about where were you when I did this and where were you when I did that. And, uh, and, and, and I love that in Job. Uh, and we, we, we're doing these foundational principles of the church and we're basing, I, I, that's a title I came up with, based on what are known as the five solas, which is in, in uh, Latin, which I don't speak, but uh, the, the, they are uh, known in, in Latin, and sola, or that root of that, means alone. And so, the last week we looked at Scripture alone. Today, it's uh, gracia, or gracia, I'm not sure how to say that. I should have checked my Latin uh, expert here at the church, but I didn't. Uh, but it means grace alone. And uh, so we're going to look at that in Ephesians 2. Last week, and, and I hope you do have your Bible open to that. We'll come to it in just a moment. But uh, uh, as we look at that, last week um, we were talking about Scripture alone. And um, we hammered on that because uh, if we don't have this as our foundation, we're, we're in trouble. And so we were, we were talking about that. Without the Scripture as a foundation, we're only left with our opinions and human reasoning. Now, I am not against reason. I'm not against logic. Um, those things are, are necessary. But sometimes human logic and reasoning is based on human knowledge and experience, which can lead you to error. Uh, we don't always do the right things or know the right things. And so, uh, so it can become dangerous. I've been doing what I do now for a long, long time, uh, most of my life by now, because uh, I did it for free before they started paying me for it. Uh, I started doing a lot of this stuff uh, many years before anybody would uh, actually uh, make it where I could do it for a living. But, uh, but in all those years, I've always heard, especially at a business meeting or if there's an argument going on in church, somebody said, well, I think. Or they'll say, well, my opinion is. And guess what? Who cares? <laughs> I know my opinion and what I think is just as powerful as what your opinion is and what you think. So all of us ought to get rid of our opinions and thoughts and see what God has to say about it. And that's what we should follow. And so that's why we make the scripture our foundation. Because without that, we are left to numerous opinions, numerous thoughts. I'm not saying, you know, in the South, we say there's more, one, more than one way to skin a cat. And if you're not from the South, that's not talking about a meow kitty. That's talking about a catfish. There's more than one way to skin one of those. Because they're not easy to skin. But, uh, but if you're going to eat them, you got to. Uh, but uh, anyway, this can lead us to a lot of error. Well, grace is one of those subjects. And it's kind of the next thing everything is everything else is what we've learned from scripture about these things but but grace is one of those things that people misunderstand uh, because they don't look at it 
biblically. They don't look at what grace means in the Bible. Then they start using logic and thought to kind of say what it means. Not that we can't do that, but we have to base that logic in the scripture. And so without the scripture, again, we are left to human reasoning and logic. But grace defies human reasoning. Grace defies human reasoning. Listen uh, to this verse. I'm just going to read it to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse uh, 18. Um, Sorry, sometimes it's hard for me to turn the pages. Uh, Here's what it says. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Now, when, when God asks you to reason together with him, that means you, you need to listen, okay? It's not that you're going to give him your opinion. Then he says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Well, that didn't make any sense. I, I mean, think about this. There was a time before time began, right? Men like to write stories and think about that. There was a time before time began. Literally, there was no time. There was only eternity. We talk about eternity past, and we can, we can sort of understand I began here, and now I'm going to live forever, or forever is coming. But it's hard for us to look backwards and realize there is no beginning for God. He dwelt in eternity past. God did not ever begin. He just always was. And there was a time when God, existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, said, hey, I've got an idea. That reminds me, we've got two rooms out there for you in case you just feel like your kid needs a break. I don't mind if they stay in here at all. Love it. If they're crying, I still don't mind. But if you feel like you need to take them out, we've got some spots back there for you. So I want you to know that. But... There's God existing in eternity past. I mean, by himself, complete, content, doesn't need anything, doesn't want anything, has no need for anything else but himself. And he says, I know, let's make a universe. (laughs) And God speaks into existence everything that we can see and cannot yet fully comprehend, knowing there's even more out there and that it's just... It keeps going. We don't know where the edge of it is, but we do know it's expanding. So here's my question. What is it expanding into? Yeah, that's where God lives, okay? Uh, It is still growing. I mean, scientists will tell you that. That's not just in the Bible. Scientists will tell you. So God creates us, and and he took this one little galaxy called the Milky Way, and in one of the edges of that galaxy, he created a solar system, and on the third planet from that particular star, he made the earth where we live. And he said, let's fill it up with plants. They did that. Let's put animals there. Did that. Let's make a man. And he made man in his own image, and they made a man and a woman. And the first thing that man and woman did, not quite the first thing, but almost, is one of the created angels that we're not sure when angels were created. Could have been before that, could have been during that, could have been after that. But somewhere God created these angels, and the the top angel that he created decides he was good enough to be God and led a rebellion against God, and a third of the angels fell with him because God ain't going to get whooped by his creation. I'm just here to tell you, okay? You, your arm is too short to box with God. Just 
just in case you didn't know that. And, and, and so Satan leads this, this, this revolt, and he's thrown out, he and a third of the angels. And Satan sees God make this earth and these humans, and he says, I know, I'll get them on my side. He comes down, he deceives Eve. Adam, in his, in his wimpy passivity, uh, goes along with his wife, and he sins willfully, knowing the will of God, knowing that he is the, the one that is going to set the course for the rest of man. He sins. Now, if you're God, and I'm glad God's not me or like me, but if, if, God, if you were God and you had created something, and what it does is rebel against you, get all up in your face, try to take over, what would you do? Now, knowing my nature, I'd go, fine, poof, and it'd be gone. I don't, listen, I don't need to put up with that. You know what I'm saying? But that's not God. You see, the Bible says in Revelation that, well, it tells us in Colossians that Jesus thought all this up. He is the firstborn. He's the progenitor of all of this, of creation, of the human race, of everything. He's the one who thought of it and did it. And then in Revelation, he's described as the lamb slain, catch this, from before the foundation of the world. Now, let's put that together. Before God spoke anything into existence, Jesus said, I'm going to make something that's going to hate me, and I'm going to go die for them so they can love me. Now, that blows my mind. By the way, everything I'm going to talk about blows my mind because grace is something that we never, no human being will ever fully comprehend grace, at least not here. We may comprehend it there, I don't know, but the only word we could ever come up for grace was amazing because we cannot describe it, we cannot explain it, we cannot understand it completely. And so God goes beyond human reasoning because human reason says, something's coming after me, you stop it, you kill it, you, you put it down. But instead of that, God absorbed that sin, became that sin, he put on flesh, and the Bible says in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could, might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. That God would do that for us. That is the definition of grace. Grace is getting something we didn't deserve. And so that's what God did for us. But here's why man has trouble comprehending grace. is because we got pride. That's one of the sins that, that we have. In fact, it's the sin that caused us to think that we could take on God and win. You've got to have some measure of pride to think that you can beat God. It, is, it's, it, it, it sort of fueled the original sin. And so pride says, I can work it out for myself. I don't need God. Every religion other than Christianity is trying to get to God, figuring out how to get to God, trying to use their reason, their intelligence, their smarts to get to God. And so man has a, a, a pride that refuses to not earn what, he already, what, what, got, what is given to him. Grace is the gift that is free. Mercy is <laughs> something that we should have gotten but didn't. Right? So, I want to read this scripture to us right after you look at this. Go ahead and put that next phrase up. We need grace because we're helpless. Man is, is lost. You're going to see this in this text. We are helpless. I want to describe that. Before I do, let's read what the Bible says. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians 2. And you, who's you? Me. <laughs> right? You say me when I say who are you. You say me. Okay. So, who are you? You and me were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. Uh, in Christ Jesus, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, I pray that you would add understanding to your word and that you would, uh, that the words of my mouth, the words and the thoughts of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, open our eyes to your Holy Spirit to behold the wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I mentioned that these are called foundational principles. Sola gracia is, is grace alone. These were not codified or brought together during the what we call the Reformation. I used uh, uh, years last time, and I was off on my years. It, 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 it took several hundred, and uh, so somebody told me about it. I said, you're right. Uh, you know, I kind of knew the date, but I messed it up. So I'm going to solve that by not saying any dates. Um, but it, it, it took a little while, but after that, it was kind of codified. These things came out, and in the days of the Reformation, they were trying to reform the church, but they couldn't, and so they became Protestants because they were protesting the church, the established church then, which was Roman Catholic. Well, what were they doing? Well, they were saying, well, if you go through these rites, they, they have several rites. You know, the last rites are just before you die, but there's rites for a baby and rites for this and rites for that. If you'll do that, or, or you can buy indulgences, you can buy forgiveness of sin, or, or if you do this, you go to confession and tell another man who also needs to confess about the confession that you need to make to God I knew one about one kid. He got saved and he went back to his church and got in the confession booth. And the preacher, the pastor said, uh, bless you, my son. What sins did you need to confess? He said, yours. Um, but anyway, that actually happened. But, uh, but anyway, uh, and so they had all this stuff extra biblical. And if you do all those things just right, you get, might get to go to heaven. But if you don't, don't worry. Your relatives can try to buy your way out by buying a candle, lighting it. And that, as long as that candle's burning, it's a prayer going to God, trying to get you out of this in-between place that the Bible doesn't even speak of. And so they just got extra biblical. So they're trying to fix it. So all these messed up, weird things that nobody could ever know whether or not that they had salvation. And by the way, we talk about being saved. I'm talking about as if you were drowning and you were about to die. And a lifeguard came in and he saved you. Well, we were about to die in hell. We were going there and God saved us in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's why we use that term, we are saved. It means to have a relationship with God in Christ so that you know him and that, that he speaks to you through his word. You speak to him in prayer and that you can actually know the living God. That's what it means to be saved. It's not just like a fire insurance keeps you from going to hell. It's, it's submitting and surrendering yourself to God so you can have a relationship with God. It's saying yes to him. But that brings us to this point. We got a problem. The reason they said grace alone, look at Ephesians 2, 1. Here's what it starts off with. I got you to pay attention to it. And you were dead. Wow. <laughs> 
we got a real problem. Now, by the way, I'm going over 10 verses. If I said, what does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say? Most Christians could say, oh, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. They would know that. But it's in the context, and this is as much context as I can get through in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So that's what I'm trying to do. So the first word in, in chapter 2, verse 1 is and, which means you should have read chapter 1. But you'll have to go home and do that, all right? But and, it says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. What does it mean to be dead? Let's just define the word dead and then apply it here. To be dead at its core means to be unresponsive to stimuli. Plants are alive. They respond to stimuli, light, water, fertilizer, dirt, bugs, whatever. Okay? A rock is dead. It doesn't respond to you. You can tell a rock to move, it won't. I don't know who came up, and genius, pet rocks in the 70s. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all old enough remember that. You get a pet rock, you could teach it tricks, sit. Just, it wouldn't move, you know, right? Well, a rock has no life. Well, if you're dead, that means you're unresponsive. I, if I came on a dead animal or person, and I said, hey, get up, it's not going to do anything. I could shake it, wake up, it's not going to happen. Because it's dead, right? So to be dead in trespasses and sin means... I am totally unresponsive to God. I am living in trespasses and sin. That's where my life is. So when something opposite of this, different from this, so holy it cannot even look on this, speaks to me, I don't even hear him. He says, come to me. I go, I don't hear anything. He can shake me and say, hey, come on, you need to be saved. Nothing. He has to, and you'll see it in a minute, make me alive. I'm dead in trespassing and sin. That's how hopeless, that's how helpless I am. And he says, uh, because we're looking at the necessity of grace, and we, we're in a dead condition here. It says, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That prince of the power of the air is another way of talking about Satan. He's the one that led us into sin, and, and we kept following him. When Adam sinned, he passed that sin on to his son, who passed it to his son, who passed it to his son. We were all born in sin. In Psalm 139, David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying his mother was sinning when she conceived him. He's saying that at the moment of conception, he was a sinner. We are sinners. We need grace. The reason we get confused about this is we think people are good. When we, when someone would say, oh, I don't know why loving God sent anybody to hell, assumes that you ought to go to heaven. You see, every question or statement has an assumption under it. And instead of listening to what people say, look at the assumption there with which they're saying it. And when somebody says, well, a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell, you're assuming that there's a loving God who doesn't care and that everybody deserves to go to heaven. I heard about one guy, he used to go to college campuses and he would talk to people and debate with them and, and take kids' questions. In fact, I think he may still do it. And one day, a young lady stood there and said, I believe everybody goes to heaven. He said, why do you believe that? She said, well, I'm Jewish and I believe God's a God of love and he, she wouldn't, and he wouldn't send anybody to hell. And he came off the platform going, let me shake your hand. I've been looking for you for, for the longest time. And she was all shocked, like, what, what is it? And he grabbed her hand and said, I always wanted to shake, shake the hand of the person who's going to spend eternity in heaven with Hitler. Now, remember, she was Jewish. And she recalled, he won't be there. He said, why not? Because of what he did. He said, oh, so not everybody's going to heaven. Now we're just talking about how you get there. 
And most people think it's because you're bad or good. That's not how you get to heaven. Being bad won't send you, not keep you out, and being good won't get you there. That's not how you get to heaven. Grace is what saves you. Grace is what gets you there. When you're dead in your trespasses and sin, and you're living in that, you're a child of disobedience. And notice what it says in verse 3. Verse 3 is kind of key here. You, you got to listen to this. Among whom we once lived in the passion of our flesh. And that's just another way of saying that sinful nature, the flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Did you catch that? Body and mind. It's not just what I do, it's also what I think. I can be disobedient to God in what I think. In word, thought, or deed, I can disobey God. And if I ask you to define sin, there's, the Bible actually talks about sin in three different ways. And so if I ask you what is sin, most everybody in here would give me some form of it's what you do or don't do in word, thought, or deed that is contrary to the word of God by omission or commission. Omission being not doing what you ought to have done, commission being doing what you shouldn't have done. The Bible talks two more ways about sin, and I'll tell you that in a couple of years as we go through the book of Romans, okay? But for now, we'll just have to leave it alone. I won't take two years, I promise. But he says this, in mind and our body, and we're by nature the children of wrath. Now, I've already said what that means, uh, Psalm 139. When we were born in the likeness of Adam, we were by nature lost. We were by nature evil. We are by nature in need of a Savior. And so, uh, the Bible is telling us that our nature was to rebel against God, as he says, the rest of mankind. We're all like that. There's nobody that's not like that. We all need a Savior. And then we come to verse 4, one of the glorious buts of the Bible. But God. Man, when you get in a need Check out the Bible for a but God. Because but God can get you out of a lot of uh, 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 trouble. But God being rich in mercy. And thank God he is. Now I want you to see something important here. But mercy is not getting, is not getting what you did deserve. In other words, you do something and you should be punished. But you don't get punished. That's mercy. Grace is getting what you didn't deserve. And, and that is, you did not deserve to go to heaven, but God gives you salvation so you can go to heaven, okay? And so he says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So God's mercy is fueled by his love because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now catch that. When I was talking earlier about that you're dead in sin, you're going, well, then what hope is there? If I can't even respond to God, what can I do? The King James says quickened. We don't use that word anymore, but it means made alive. So he's saying he comes on me as a dead person and he brings me to life so I can hear him say, follow me. I can't even hear him ask that unless he makes me alive to listen. Grace is how we are saved because the Bible says this. Jesus says, he that be, or the Bible says, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God begins it. God finishes it. End of Revelation. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. But I get how we are. You see, here I am laying there a dead person. And, and God's going, hey, I want to give you salvation. And I don't respond. Hey, wake up, I'll give you salvation. 
I don't respond. So he makes me alive so I can hear him. And I hear about it and I say, yeah, that's great. And then I tell everybody, I found Jesus. No, he found you. <laughs> you see, my salvation is that assured. That God is holding me in his hand because he made me alive. He placed me in Christ. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now that, what that means is that they believe there was a spiritual world where there's angels and God and all those things. And so when he saved us, he placed us in that kingdom. Before we come to know Christ, we're a body who has a soul or a spirit. And that soul or spirit has been marred by sin, by Adam's sin. And we inherited it. Then we did some sin in ourselves, and we kept it going. So the Bible says, Jesus one day, a rich man came up to him and said, Hey, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And he said, keep the commandments. He said, oh, I've been doing that since I was a kid. He said, which ones? And he told him. And he left off the ones he didn't keep, by the way. And he said, well, that, that's pretty good, but you got to be born again. He said, wait, dude, I'm too old to get, can I go back to mom and get born twice? He said, no, you got to be born from above. And then later, Colossians says that what I was, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the Bible tells us right here, he makes us alive. What I was in Adam, he puts to death and then brings me to life. So I'm a new creation, 2 Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. So now I'm no longer a body who has a spirit. I'm a spirit who's living in a body. Because now I have life. I'm not dead. My spirit's not dead anymore. It's now responsive to God, and I am a spirit. And this body's going to wear out because he didn't redeem this body when he redeemed my soul. This body is temporary. It can only last so long, and it's going to conk out. And I feel parts of it shutting down already. You know, it's, I'm getting older. And then one day, it's just going to conk out totally, and I'm going to leave this body and go be with Jesus. But here's the good news. When he comes back, he's going to raise those who have died. I don't know what Jance is going to do with me, burn me, bury me, throw me away. I don't know. That's fine, whatever. I'm just kind of joking. I don't know what she's going to do, but I know this, that even if she buries me, my body's going to return to dust. And you say, well, how's he going to raise my body? How's he going to raise the body of somebody in a shipwreck got eaten by sharks? Well, simple. He knows my DNA. I mean, if man can figure out DNA, the one who created it certainly knows about it. And he's going to alter it a little bit and give me an eternal body that can live forever. He's going to bring that to be and he's going to put that spirit back in that body. And here I, I'll be. Hallelujah. Amen. 11 o'clock, man. Y'all got to help me. Amen. And that's going to be awesome. So that's what God's doing. And so we come all the way to verse 7. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. He trophy cases us. He says, look what I can do. And he puts us in his trophy case. So that in ages to come, he can point to us, look what I did. Look what I did. I turned a sinner into a saint. Look at that. I took an imperfect human and I saved him. I made him brand new. Took care of everything. Look at that. We are trophies of God's grace. Now, I don't know if you follow any sports team or not. I, I follow some of them. And, and most of my favorite teams have won something somewhere sometime okay uh, they've been champions at something and, and so they've got trophy cases at their headquarters and they've got those trophies can you imagine one of those trophies in that trophy case going uh-huh uh-huh I'm a champion no you're the representative of a champion you're not the champion you didn't do anything you just showcase 
that they're champions. We showcase that Jesus is the champion. That's why we're supposed to live a holy life in this world. You see, salvation is not just fire insurance, keep me out of hell and I can do whatever I want. Salvation brings me into a relationship with Christ and you'll see it in a moment where he's going to make me look like Jesus. And so I am supposed to live that way to be a showcase for Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, here are the means of salvation. In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You didn't deserve it. He gave it to you. It's a gift. By the way, y'all maybe probably celebrate Christmas. Everybody in here has a birthday, even though you might not want to tell us a year that happened. We, we all have that. Can you imagine Christmas coming, your birthday's coming, you go up to a loved one, you go up to someone and say, hey, here's what I want you to get me. I want you to give me this as a gift, and you name something they can't even afford. Well, that'd be crazy. But what if your birthday came or Christmas came, and they gave you a gift because they'd been saving and scrimping, and they took care of it, and somehow they sacrificed to get you this really nice thing. You'd be going, thank you. Wow, that, how did you do this? And they'd be so happy. Yeah, man, listen, I, I was able to pull this and do that, and I got it, and I gave it to you. That's what God did. You couldn't go to God and say, give me salvation, because you didn't earn that. You didn't deserve it. And any gift you ask for is not a gift. That's a demand. That's a ransom note, <laughs> Right? And yet God sacrificed himself to give us salvation. Right? It's a gift. He did that because he said he would do that before he ever made the world. Now I don't know about you, but that makes my head hurt. Because I can't comprehend that fully. Why would you do that? It, it, it defies human reasoning. I'm just telling you, it does. So, by grace you've been saved through faith. Did you catch what it said after the word faith? That is not of yourself either. <laughs> and that not of yourselves, it says, I think in the King James, here it says, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. The nature of it is the nature of a gift. The means of it is grace. God loves us, yes. God's love fuels his mercy, yes. But God's love and mercy will not save you. Someone had to die. His justice was was performed in Christ. Christ took your sin. Christ died for you so that he could give you the gift of salvation. And so the nature of it is a gift. And then notice the, what the opposite of grace is. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, the gift of God, not a result of works. Works is the opposite of grace. And all other religions is what I can do to get to God. I can sit around and meditate hmm, until I reach nirvana. I can go out in the street and witness and give away literature and earn points with God. I can, you know, kill the infidel and automatically, especially if I martyr myself while I'm doing it, I can get automatic access into heaven. All what a man can do to get there. Keep all the rights of the Catholic Church. The Baptist churches bring a casserole to potluck. You know, whatever. Just thought I'd pick on us a little bit. No. Salvation is grace by faith and not of works. Nothing you can do about it. All you can do is when God wakes you up and asks you to respond is, whoa, I need salvation. You better respond. Because you were dead. God just brought you to life to say, take this. Take this gift. Because you couldn't take it until he made you alive to take it. 
Again, that hurts my head to think about that. I want you to look at verse 10. Here is the purpose of his grace. We've already covered that a little bit, but let me just spell it out to you in verse 10. First of all, the purpose of God is to make us look like Jesus. For we are his workmanship. The purpose of God is to say, look, I made another Jesus. Somebody looks like Jesus. We, we don't have the power in all of Jesus, but we look like Jesus. And he does that, check this out, in the person of Jesus Christ. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You've got to understand that everything you have is a result of the cross. The result of Jesus putting on flesh, becoming sin for us in the cross. Every promise of this Bible, whether it's that God will be with you, whether it's that God will save you, no matter what the promises of the Bible are without the cross, they're pointless. They're meaningless because there's no power in them. It is the cross that gives power and access to all of us to obtain. But because of the cross, the Bible says in Hebrews, we can walk inside the veil of heaven where that veil is in front of the mercy seat where the blood of Jesus has been put. Not the blood of a lamb or a goat, but the mercy seat in heaven has the blood of Jesus and the veil has been opened and I can walk right inside that veil, right up to the throne of God and say, Daddy, Father, and in the name of Jesus, I can ask for the world to be saved. And he will use me to bring the world to salvation. That's Psalm 2, in case you think I'm way off. He promised the world to his son. So when we pray for the world to be saved and get involved in doing that, guess what? He's going to answer that prayer. And so, I have access, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. So, there's the power in our works. There's the preparation for those works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And lastly, there's participation. We should walk in them. But did you catch that? Before he created the universe, he had what you're supposed to do laid out. Wow. But, 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 let, let me say that again so I can get a hold of it. So we're in eternity past. Nothing's going on except God is there and he's fine. He's content. He's wonderful. And Jesus says, hey, I've had this idea. Let's make a universe. And in that universe, we'll make this planet. We'll put people on it. And they'll rebel against us because we're going to make angels. And, and Well, you'll get the details later, but it's not going to be pretty, but I tell you what, I'll go to that planet and I'll look like them. I'll put on a body like they'll be in and then I'll become sin, their sin, so that they can be saved. And oh, in 1959, there's going to be this little boy born in Charleston. In 1968, I'm going to wake him up from his death to take life. And he's going to follow me and do these things because I'm going to prepare those for him. And the Trinity said, it's a good idea. Let's do that. That's true for every one of you. Again, it hurts my head to imagine that. But that's what grace is. What can you do about all that this week? Well, start today by remembering your dependence on God. Friend, you can't get out of the bed without grace. Grace, another word for grace is power. It is the power of God to save us. It is the power of God to enable us to live out what he prepared for us to do. It's his works. By the way, works don't save you. Works are a result of being saved. 
And in those works, we honor God because we, can, we have to say, I couldn't do that. God did that. I can't do that. God did that. Because God does them in us and through us and by his will. And so today, remember your dependence on God and then go out and do what he called you to do. So show gratitude that God gave you his best gift, salvation in his son. And show some grace to others because they need it. And so do the good works that God created you to do. I, I have a hymn book. It's an old hymn book. And uh, there was a song written when this, people were arguing back and forth about this. And one hymn writer wrote these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And when he shall come with a trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's by grace alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for, for just blessing us and giving us uh, the knowledge of who you are. Thank you that you woke us up when we were dead. You brought us to life. You didn't just wake us up. You brought us to life. That we could reach out and receive you because we were dead and we wouldn't have done that. We were too deaf to hear you. We were, we were so blind we couldn't see you because we were dead. Our tongue was stilled in our mouths so we could not proclaim our desire to know you and repent and come to know you and then sing your praises. So you had to make us alive so that we could know you. So we thank you that you began our salvation and we thank you you promised to complete it until the end and that we will be with you one day. We will be made right before you and all things will be worked out and finished. And if you're listening to me, whether it be online or in this room, if you are aware that you need Jesus as your Savior, and I mean you did not know him before, maybe you were religious, maybe you've been to church, but all of a sudden you have this realization that, that you don't really know him. If you died, you would be not in heaven. You'd be in hell and you'd be without Christ. That is God at work in your life. Do not delay. Right now, surrender to him. Say, yes. Take me, take all of me. I'll live for you the rest of my life and give yourself to him.